Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. In this episode, my guest is Simon Drew from the Walled Garden Philosophical Society and the Soul Searching with Seneca podcast. Simon is a poet, musician, philosopher, and someone with a deep curiosity about the art of living. Today's episode is part one of a six-part series we're calling Living the Questions. The title is inspired by a popular quote from the poet Rainer Maria Rilke, who wrote in what is known today as Letters to a Young Poet, Live the questions for now. Perhaps then, without even noticing it, you will gradually come on some far-off day to live your way into the answer. Throughout this series, Simon and I will discuss how to live the questions, how to live, what is wisdom, what is love, how to think about the divine, and what is the meaning of life. I'm really excited about this series. As many of you know, Simon is a return guest on the show and someone I always enjoy connecting with. So without any further delay, please welcome the wise and gracious Simon Drew. I wanted to kick it off and I'm like I'm curious to ask around living the questions. So for the for the listeners, we're going to do a half a dozen episodes or so on on various perennial questions is what I would I would call them like how to live what is what is wisdom what is love and and other questions but I'm curious you know you as a podcaster you've been doing that for much longer than I have and I've been at it for a couple of years so uh, maybe four or five years of asking questions why is that you know it's like i know we've talked like why did you start this and that but i mean essentially you're still asking questions it's an interesting thing why yeah <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> it's a, yeah it's a really interesting way to start and um yeah, it's something that I have considered before. It's it's that idea of um, when does the seeker become the finder? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Is there a point where the seeker becomes the finder or is it um, perhaps more like, I guess, the, the topic of this discussion that we live in these questions, live the questions? You know, for me... I think to be a podcaster, you probably just have to be obsessed with those kinds of questions, as in you're you're never quite satisfied with the level of understanding that you have around certain topics. And, I mean, to me, I'm the first to admit that I'm a, a, a terrible student. You know, I, I basically go on my own path and, and that's 
how I learn. And <laughs> very rarely does somebody penetrate my soul fully, you know, to get me to go in a different direction. I, I feel as though I'm on um, uh, a, a unique path. But um, I've also just been really grateful that for all of my questioning, there have been people there to actually give some meaningful answers. And I think that is probably the reason why I've continued to do it for so long is because the relationships that I get to build with people like yourself is so meaningful. And all of these relationships are built on two or more individuals coming together with a passion for understanding and for growing and for learning. And I think there's such magic that happens in that relationship. And so I guess, um, yeah, for all of my lack of finding, um, <laughs> I, I just still really enjoy the conversation, the um, the diving deep into something that I'm ignorant about. But I don't know. What about you? You've been doing it for around the same amount of time, right? Yeah, no, nah, I don't think as, as long as you have, but it's been a couple of years now, which has gone by pretty quick. But that, that, it's so funny to me, this, uh, as you said, uh, when does the seeker become the finder? <laughs> it, uh, it reminds me of uh, a guest that I had on a, a, a long time ago, Mark Van Buren, who's written a couple books. And he has a, a band by the name, if I remember right, is uh, Seeking the Seeker. And it's uh, it's like an interesting thing of uh, like living the questions. I don't know. It's a it's a strange thing. Like I've asked, um, "What is wisdom?" You know, a bunch of times now to you know over a hundred episodes or so. And like you say, a lot of meaningful responses. I, I've never heard a response that I thought was totally out in left field or something like that. Hmm. But there is something about some of these big questions of there's maybe many ands is like how I think of it. Like it's this, what well, and it's that. And it's that, you know, and you can just keep going like all the way um, around it. And um, it's a fascinating thing. And it, it reminds me of um, something that the poet Rilke said. And, and we've been, we chatted once before and I, I made a couple, couple notes from his letters to a, to a young poet. But this idea of living the questions is something that that he just made popular. But another uh, passage is around patience. Like Rilke says, there's no measuring with time. Not even a year matters. Not even, you know, 10 years or nothing. And he talks about the artist as this ripening thing and it all being about patience and I, I think that connects a little bit with the living the questions because you can stop in a way doing the and it's that like you can settle essentially on the first response that that comes to mind 
And not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but in a way, sometimes maybe we have an incomplete answer or an incomplete understanding of a particular important question when we we stop, when we maybe lack the patience to let it unfold or something. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I like that idea of having patience to let the answer unfold. I mean, what's coming to me is that no matter how many people you ask a question, for example, what is wisdom? I think personally, I'm always going to be somewhat dissatisfied with the answer unless I can really see it, really feel it, really know it, you know. And so at the end of the day, no matter how many people I ask that question, there's always a solitude that I retreat back to, you know, where there's nobody else who can help me. Nobody can tell me, hey, this is what wisdom is. Nobody can tell me that because at the end of the day, it has to come back to my experience. It has to be solid, you know. And I think um, probably even more so as a poet, you mentioned Rilke, you know, and and certainly to me it, 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 it seems like the podcasting is one thing, but in writing poetry and in having that as just something that I am, I've noticed that it's really easy to get sucked into questions, you know, mm. to, it, you know, you write something and then you sit there and you look at what you wrote and you think, what the hell does this mean? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it makes you, you know, even just that first experience for me of writing a poem and having that experience of, wow, something was moving through me. Something was, you know, this was not fully the creation of my own egotistical mind wanting to teach some principle or anything. It's, it's, and I think for me, that just showed me that you can kind of get sucked into these questions about, well, what if life is like this? Or what if life is like that? You know, uh, Seneca, he, in, in his first letter in Natural Questions, he, he's sitting there and he's writing all of these questions about God, you know, does God care about us? Or, you know, is he the ruler? Or, you know, when things happen, is it because he said so? Or is it because it's just some sort of super, he's sitting there asking all these different questions about God. And I think poetry more than anything has sucked me into those questions. And Mm. it's so powerful, but also so confusing. (laughs) Because, you know, I think we do live in a time where to actually believe that you can be moved by something, that there is a greater power, all these things. Like, there's so many more questions that we can ask about that. Maybe two, three hundred years ago, it would have been just a given or we would have just expected that to be the case. But, you know, now you will ask all, all sorts of questions. Am I just stuck in a in a feedback loop of my own creation? Am I, you know, is this some sort of, you know, do, do a lot of artists experience this? You know, and it can become very confusing, but I think that artists and poets, musicians are naturally built to withstand those kind of chaotic life conditions of not knowing. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there's because of the nature of what they do, this creation, constant creation of new artworks or music or poetry, it, I think 
it's just naturally what we're geared towards is to be able to sit in those questions and not necessarily have an answer and maybe be confused most of our lives, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I'm destined to. (laughs) And the, uh, and I wonder if there's some sort of middle way between like that uncertainty, that confusion, that not knowing, you know, and the, the 180 of that, some sort of thing there. And, and before we get too far, though, I, I do want to say to the listeners that obviously, you know, dedicating a half a dozen episodes to leaving the questions and who knows, maybe more than that. It's obviously something that we think is a worthy pursuit to contemplate some of these questions and in a way like connected to this middle way thing that like on one hand you have to it seems answer these questions and come up with your own particular answer you know what is wisdom what is love you know what is the good life some clarity around what you think but also at the same time like we're wise to learn from others like you mentioned before we hit record here i think heraclitus and if you think of even marcus aurelius's meditations yes he's writing his own thoughts yes he is writing to himself but it's not all his ideas like heraclitus for example comes up Many, many times. And it reminds me of something uh, the poet Goethe said that's always stuck with me. And he says something like, whatever you think of, you know, a thousand people have already thought of it. You know, it's like whatever you particularly read, like in a way, like you have to make that your own which is it it's a difficult thing of you know how do you how do you balance that how do you know if if it's um if you've made it your own like marcus aurelius said the fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good probably my favorite quote of all time i have it on my signature block in my email But in a way, like, how do you make that your own? You know, it's like, what is a good character? You know, what does it mean acts for the common good type of stuff? Uh, It's it's a bit more challenging than than we might initially think, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, Again, going back to that idea that at the end of the day, you always have to come back to your own solitude and your own, (laughs) (laughs) your own decision about what this will mean for you. I I think, I think, you know, you mentioning the middle way approach is a very, um, uh, important point here because maybe you want to be just solid enough in your understanding that it keeps you sane in this crazy world and that it keeps you put together. But then you want to be just, uh, uh, is the word malleable um, enough that when you see something that is better, you know, it's that idea of when I know better, I'll do better. 
you know? Mm. Um, and, and to me, then we have to organize the hierarchy of values. You know, I value stability and, um, uh, you know, as Seneca would say, you know, the wise person, uh, 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 seeks the same things and avoids the same things. It's like they have a stability in their character. I know what you are. I know who you are. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. Not that there's anything good or bad about knowing what somebody likes or doesn't, but it's it's in the specifics of what they like and what they don't like that we judge somebody, right? And um, so we need just enough of that, but but then the hierarchy should perhaps be, well, like I said, if I know better, I do better. That's a higher order value to have in your philosophy than wisdom is X, Y, Z, you know? Mm. Um, and so it's not only that we're living with these, you know, questions, we're trying to figure out what's the most, Im- what are the most important questions as well? I mean, to me, that's, that's almost yeah. the most important question is what <laughs> are the most important questions? <laughs> Cause so many people are asking stupid questions including myself all the time and then you sit back and you think oh in the hierarchy of questions in my life that's not very important let's focus on something else you know and so there's this infinite landscape of possible uh questions that we could choose from and and how do we even discern that right i don't know what do you think i love that you know it's like yeah what are the important questions and I, I think we have an idea about it. And it's part of this series, you know, identifying these half a dozen questions of, uh, that are big questions. You know, they're big questions that, that point that you made when I know better, I do better. Uh, I want to take a moment and maybe this is a good time to read, um, what Rilke had to say, which is mm. in a way kind of inspiring this series. He writes in a letter to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to have the love for the questions themselves, like locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Do not seek out the answers now, which cannot be given to you because you cannot live them. And what matters is to live everything. Live the questions for now. Perhaps then, without noticing it, you will gradually come on some far-off day to live your way into the answer. And it goes on, and it's like some of these big questions, maybe we're not ready to settle on a particular answer or ready to, you know, truly live the, the question, um, you know, and maybe they all need to have that, you know, those three dots at the end of it. It's something that is an ongoing process. I don't talk about it much on the podcast, but in search of wisdom and it's, it's much more for me, about the search over the the wisdom piece. It's like, that is the, the thing, the seeking of it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think, um, it's really important that you bring up this idea that 
uh, perhaps, you know, we're not ready to solidify an answer for some of these questions, but would it even be preferable for us to solidify an answer? I think of that kind of mythological trope of, you know, when a culture is dead, it turns to stone, you know, and we do that within ourselves all the time because we say, this is the answer to this very complicated problem. And as soon as we think that we know something, it it has to uh, restrict our ability to see something that we don't know. You know, if if a better answer comes along and we just believe you know, this is the answer, and that's it's one of the problems that I have with kind of dogma and orthodoxy is is that I believe that we're in a time where, for example, a lot of religions are so rigid in their adherence to a certain dogma or philosophy. It happens in Stoicism as well, that to let some fresh air into that room is almost impossible because it's become this kind of stone, this, this you know, the, the culture has turned to stone. But, you know, when I was... Um, I believe I was doing a course on the Old Testament um, at university. Uh, whatever the course was, we were discussing. No, it was uh, it was it was um, a biblical ethics. One of the very interesting things that came out of that class was just realizing that throughout the Bible, there are so many different ethical systems that are represented in the narratives, um, and so many different ways of looking at what's the right and what's the wrong decision. And it seems as though God changes his mind all the time, <laughs> you know, as to what's the appropriate thing to do and, you know, uh, for, for, for his people. And that just shows you that we're living in this, we're living in this very gooey cosmos where we always have to be on guard. And so if we come back to what are the most important questions, well, perhaps how should I ask questions how should I sit with questions? You know, um, what are the most important questions to ask? Is it worth us, you know, solidifying an answer or do we need to be? And I like your middle way approach, which I think, yeah, we do have to have a solid foundation beneath us. But at the same time, we need to be completely flexible to the needs of the moment. Again, why the Stoics do so well in, in this philosophy, because it's it's all about in this particular moment, in this context, what's the most appropriate thing to do? And, you know, maybe that's the best question because <laughs> I mean, yeah. it requires you to think constantly, <clears throat> you know. Definitely. The, uh, that image of, of letting some fresh air in seems like it's, it's really no small thing. To me, it seems like these perennial questions, any particular question, we generally all have an answer to it. You know, how to live, what is wisdom, what is God, you know, who am I? Any of these things, we have an answer to it. We maybe don't think about it often, maybe we haven't spent you know, years and years, like contemplating it and things like that. And it seems like, like what you're talking about and this thing of, of Rilke, like living the questions. Um, there's a writer that I like the, uh, Franciscan Richard Rohr. 
he wrote this book, The Wisdom Pattern, and he talks about order, uh, disorder, and reorder. And like oftentimes, maybe it comes up in a um, like someone g- growing up in a particular uh, faith tradition. You know, they have a particular order, and then at some point in time, maybe they question it. People talk about deconstruction and things like that, and they can kind of pull it apart. But this can come up. I mean, I think the same model or same approach applies to many things like that that initial response that everyone listening has around what is wisdom or how to live in a way there has to be to let that fresh air in it seems like there has to be a bit of disorder a bit of deconstruction a bit of well, how might i be wrong or or even simply sometimes the question of what else what else might it be? What else? And you could, you know, keep going. And some of these big questions are many, many things. Um, mm. But he says the the reorder piece is where you you basically, and he's talking about it from a spiritual maturity standpoint, of where you reintegrate both of these things. Like the order piece still ex- exists. You know, and then it's like this disorder thing of how might I be wrong and the tearing it down. And it's kind of pulling both of those things in a container for both and, which is something he he talks about um, quite a bit. But it's in. It's no small thing as is my point of this living the questions, because essentially it's living in a bit of uncertainty knowing that and acknowledging that maybe your answer to some of these questions is incomplete in a way Mm. or yeah, I guess that's Mm. what comes to mind a little bit. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's like just a really, um, yeah, meaningful insight, this idea of order, disorder and reorder. And perhaps there needs to be, um, you know, perhaps even the understanding of that kind of cycle is enough to help somebody to move through those cycles. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, if you're in a state of order, does that naturally mean that you are closed off to, you know, how do you get into a state of disorder? Is it always going to be by, you know, uh, you trip over life, you know, and you fall into a pit of disorder? Um or is is there a way of while being in order we have a mechanism within us to be able to still it's almost like okay here's the thing <laughs> I had this um had don't know why I say it had I still have this beautiful friend in Australia somebody I went to school with and she um uh, uh studied biochemistry or something like that was working on farms. Um, and, uh, you know, she went, uh, she went to this farmer and said, Hey, listen, you're spraying all of these crops with these chemicals and everything. If you would just set aside a tiny little patch of your property and grow some crops there. And that patch is specifically for the bugs. They'll all flock to that patch and you won't have to use all these chemicals on the rest of 
You know what I mean? So, mm. so essentially having one little spot dedicated. And I wonder if, if when we are in a state of order, when we feel as though we understand things, do we have a little patch dedicated <laughs> in our souls <laughs> to disorder or to um, where the questions can flow in, where we can question ourselves? And am I really, is this really true? Because so much of the time, I think, well, I think that a lot of people who grew up in, for example, mainstream religions, I have nothing against really um, main, mainstream religions, but um, I know that part of the dogma is often, you know, this, like, for me at least, that was like, you got to put these blinders on, you got to find your faith, you got to find your testament, you got to, you know, be really narrowly focused, you know, don't let anything in, but how do we allow ourselves to have that little patch in our soul? that allows the questions in without immediately throwing us into a chaotic disorder. Is any of this making sense? I don't know if I'm just rambling at this point. No, I, I, and I think it's, it's really important in the way of um, holding both in the way of even the thing of like order, for example, like say, as we go through life, we obviously navigate all sorts of little forks in the road. We could go this way or that way, but we've got to choose. We just simply, you know, it's like fork after fork. And in the way of like the knowing piece, you know, how to live, we have to trust our our instincts, our intuition, trust, basically the answers that we have to particular questions at that point, we still have to act, which is a difficult thing because we can be in this, like say, maybe like an extreme skepticism or an extreme not knowing. And maybe that's a chaotic type of thing of this analysis paralysis type of thing. So it's like living the questions is not this totally maybe like flailing in in the wind of of uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's okay. Like we're going to mix we're going to run into some of these forks in the road and we're going to make decisions and then we might look back and say when we know better down the road, if I could go back, maybe I'd go the other way. But then you really don't know. I mean, it's just, it, in a way, um, like the whole perfectionism thing, of like leaving the questions is like, I'm going to find the right answer, <laughs> you know? And uh, and it seems like some of these these people, these poets and sages, you know, it's not necessarily about finding some sort of right answer. You know, you do the best you can where you are. So it's like living the questions is um, it's like being curious, but still navigating our way forward through through life. Hmm. Maybe oh, that's, that's where what... hope comes in. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, no matter who we are, we always have to have this hope that uh, tomorrow we will understand a little bit more or that we'll get closer to understanding. But I think you're so right. Yeah, we. I mean... We have to act. 
And so no matter where you are in your understanding of certain answers to certain questions, it's inevitable that you will act based off the understanding that you have right now. And yeah, no, that's just an interesting, an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So all the more reason to uh, find some sort of hierarchy of values that can, (laughs) you know, it's almost like setting the sail of your ship as you go through life. Right. You know, your values get there as quickly as you can to some sort of, to some sort of, and, and well, maybe this is the real value of like culture and tradition, it, tradition perhaps more more so, because tradition kind of says to us, "Hey, to the best of our knowledge, here's what we found, and we're going to pass this to you, and then you pick this up, and you do your best with it, and then we'll see what you've found and added to it by the time you die, and then you pass that on." Um, yeah, so for all of my uh, uh, for all of my seeming disdain towards dogma, I see the value in it in that aspect that sometimes we do just need something to hold on to while we mature and understand new ways of being. I guess I don't know what yeah. you think. The um, to touch on the hope piece, um. Like I, I, I get what you mean, and I, I, I agree in a, in a certain way of. Might have greater. Like understanding tomorrow a little bit, but sometimes, I, I think this is helpful at least for me is that um, like everything has its pros and cons. Like we were chatting before, um, once we hit record of, uh, you know, you living in Australia. Now you're living in America. There's pros and cons to each of those. Like, I'm sure there's wonderful things that you probably miss about Australia and there's wonderful things here, but whatever fork, whatever path we embark on, generally there's pros and cons to each of those particular paths. Like if we're honest and and maybe seeing clearly, you know, there isn't necessarily a perfect path. Like I think of, uh, I don't know, maybe it gets, maybe it gets strange and, and weird, but sometimes I, I think of, um, like in meditations and many other things and, you know, these wisdom texts that they often contradict themselves. You know, Marcus Aurelius says like the impediment to action advances action. So it's like, obviously, you know, we can go through obstacles And then elsewhere, you know, he says, when there's brambles in the path, go around, you know, when the cucumbers bitter, throw it out. So it's like, how do you truly know what is the obstacle that is worth going through was, you know, and it's maybe in simple terms from like the Stoics is like virtue, this and that. But sometimes, I mean, we're, we're faced with a lot of different decisions, like where to live, what to do. Even that, that quote that I mentioned, like the fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good. Well, what acts for the common good or the most meaningful? And, you know, what are the practices and exercises that I should do to cultivate my character? There's still many, many questions 
that you can't truly, truly know, you know, for certain. You just have to make your discern as wisely as you possibly can, but, you know, keep moving forward. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, um, I guess my point is it's the complicatedness of some of these things, like to me is it's like unavoidable, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's good in a way, like, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with, with that. (laughs) That's why we have memory, right? I mean, it's like, thank God we have memory so that we can look at what happened before and consider whether or not we're in the same kind of landscape now. But yeah, Yeah. to your point, yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's just like life is inevitably going to be messy and difficult. And I I think I've come into contact with more of that over the past few years, not only because of the current state of the world, but just in my own life that, uh, and I don't know if this is something that, in general happens for people around this season of life, you know, going from kind of mid to late twenties into early thirties sort of thing. Um, that there's a kind of waking up a kind of, um, maturation process. That's that I guess should be happening where you wake up to the fact that, yeah, life is incredibly messy. You're going to be challenged constantly. Um, you know, that, especially when you take on more and more responsibility and like you say, yeah, everything has pros and cons and uh, you can never fully discern, you know, the fullness of the, the, the situation that you're in. And, and in a way, you're always guessing, <laughs> you know, Alan Watts, he said, you know, we always spend all of this, oh, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then in the end, you just make a split decision anyway. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and in the end, we're always just making up our minds based on what we have in that moment. And, uh, and I think coming to terms with that is, is helpful. I've, I've found a lot of strength in, the kind of mindset that Marcus Aurelius spoke of when he said, you know, remember that today you'll face these challenges with the same, you know, uh, reasoning capacity that you had the day before and the day before that, this idea of, okay, we'll just realize that you're a human being and you've got this because you come from a very long line of human beings who had this (laughs) and they did it too. And it's probably a lot more difficult for them, but yeah, to be to be okay with that, I think, is the challenge, right? To be okay with the fact that you're never going to be 100% uh, uh, correct in your decisions or um, I think there's a lot of peace to be found to be able to yeah. ride that chaotic wave throughout your life, you know, and to yeah. say, say la vie. <laughs> <laughs> and you know. it seems like having some clarity around these big questions. I'm curious your your take it, but it seems like to me that it can help with some of the other questions in life. 
you know, like there's other big questions in life, uh, you know, live a, a single life or, you know, get married, you know, this particular profession, that particular profession, like as we were just talking about, you know, where to where to live, if you have the flexibility to do that. It seems like the, you know, the how to live, what is a good life, what's the meaning of life, how to think about God for some seems like some of those big questions to me almost seem like foundational in a way to make some of these other questions. I don't know. How do you think about, could you see that as maybe, you know, helping many of the other questions, big and small in life? Yeah. Well, I I think that's what we were talking about earlier as well. This idea that there is kind of like a hierarchy of, most important questions um it's almost like we're you know trying to it's like a game of dominoes you know you flip over the the one most important one and the rest of them (laughs) kind of fall (laughs) you know like I, i was speaking with um one of my friends the other day and he said to me uh you know simon i I guess I kind of have come back to this realization that I should have known when I was younger and was, you know, in a very spiritual community. But he said, it's kind of like life is a game and the only game is to get to God. And if you can do that, then you've won, right? Mm. And that's what all of the major world religions tell us, you know. But, of course, they have an incentive to tell us that, right? But but even even, you know philosophers and poets and 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 artists and you know i i personally know that when i really sat with this idea that um uh, well i guess a good way to put it uh, anthony arismendi put it like this and i think it's also a mormon idea um or a Mormon saying, it's like we are spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, or spiritual beings having a physical experience. Hmm. Um, Heraclitus, you know, he talks about really contemplate the word and know that all is one, you know, that idea that you can kind of, you can come to this at, at least a belief and a really compelling belief that you are a, tiny portion of a just expansive totality and i think that that brings so much comfort it brings an equal amount of discomfort because you've just dropped yourself into the soup of the cosmos (laughs) and and suddenly the lines between inside you and outside you and what is other and what is you and what is you know it, it gives you more questions than it perhaps answers. But at the same time, there's a lot of comfort in that as well. And I think that it does naturally order the priority of questions underneath that. Um, at least that's what I've found. But nonetheless, I still suffer and I still struggle and I still, you know, as, as we all do. Um, but there's such a strength in answering or at least coming to a certain foundational understanding of some of these most important questions. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. 
it reminds me of um you know what you're talking about like Heraclitus and all this different stuff. I recently had a conversation with the author of uh, un uh, unmasking the inner critic is I'm pretty sure that's the name of the the book. But he talks about like some of these constrictions that that we have and one is maybe that you know I'm alone another is um you know I'm not I'm not loved you know some of these questions and maybe it's like inner critic type of stuff these like thoughts that might come to us and questions that might come to us whether we want them to or not and like from a philosophical tradition or spiritual tradition standpoint, searching out some of that stuff to me can really, I think I want to say, you know, help you feel at home in the world. You know, some of the cosmopolitan type of language that, that really shows up like across traditions. Um, so you can maybe get that particular question that I'm alone or, you know, someone in that, the feeling isolated. And if we're able to even like live with that question in the way, and I, I'm saying live with that question in the way of loosening our grip on what might be the initial type of response can be such a powerful thing. And I made a couple notes from uh, the Socratic method and, you know, Socrates and things like that of we've, we've talked about this thing of not knowing. And in the book, it, it talks about how the Socratic method It's like thinking in questions, being at home with uncertainty, and valuing a search that has no end. And some of that, like, if we could take that particular thing of, you know, am I loved? Maybe there's an initial response of where we want to answer that, like yes or no. But maybe it's an opportunity to say, well, what is love exactly? You know, because oftentimes it seems like we can answer questions when we haven't necessarily put the time in to think about, you know, well, what is love really? You know, what does that look like? Um, and I mean, we can do this. I mean, I've been married for a long time. Like, some of that stuff even shows up in long-term relationships and things like that of where you can get these, you know, questions and doubts and, you know, curiosities and all sorts of stuff and um, come to conclusions without really, you know, test testing it. As Socrates says, it's wisdom of not knowing enables us to, break our our love affair that we might have with answers and instead you know fall in love with with testing our questions and 
you know, um, like getting more curious about it. Easier said than done, but it, it does seem like a, a wise practice that we can maybe cultivate as a habit. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And uh, certainly I think that no matter what we believe or no matter what answers we come up to uh, with to the most complicated questions, those answers and those beliefs will inevitably be tested in the world. And, you, you know, it's, it's like you'll either feel at peace as you wander through this seemingly chaotic landscape of, of the world or you won't. And if you don't, then maybe that's life prodding you and saying, hey, you're a little bit too far away from the answer to some of these most important questions, you know, we're always being tested. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, it's one of the reasons why I love that passage from Isaiah where he says, uh, as he says, something like, uh, you know, God, your, uh, you know, your judgments fall upon the world and the people of the world learn righteousness. You know, I apologize for the sound in the corner, but, um, yeah, this idea that we are always just hitting things with hammers seeing what works and life hits us back sometimes. And that's, I don't know what that is other than a judgment, you know, or a lesson being learned about you're not quite set up correctly. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to grow. And that again is one of those great perennial lessons that's been handed on through all these great traditions is, you know, it's almost like you've got to be a master of pain because life's going to throw you pain and you've got to be able to learn that that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, perhaps the only bad thing that could come for that is for you to remain in your ignorance in face of all of this, you know, mm. this life teaching you things. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if I really touched on what you're saying there, but I think. Uh, no, I think so. Yeah. Um, it, it makes me think a little bit about, you know, like the challenges of, of life. Um, like when you think about different, uh, wisdom traditions or, or even just taking like one side of a particular, um, question, and maybe this ties back to the order, disorder, reorder type of thing. When you think about the uh, cultivating a good character, in a way, the or or even the question, uh, like say, who am I? Like from a stereotypical thing of uh, like Kung Fu Panda, the the movie that <laughs> my kids and I watch. You know, where it's like. Uh, I'm going to go uh, contemplate the question, you know, who am I for 30 years in a cave or, you know, the Epicureans where it's like, I'm going to withdraw from the, from the city. There are some things that we can do that are maybe aligned as a, 
an effective way to cultivate our character or learn about our mind or train our mind. But then there's that like other thing where it's like, and acts for the common good, you know, of, um, like sometimes that is, um, that being engaged in the world, that, that pain, that bit of struggle, some of the challenges is sometimes like engaging in the world, you know, and maybe that's like another topic that we'll get into, I think, towards the end of, you know, what is the meaning of life? And that's something for like everyone to answer. And some of these different people, you know, come to different, different things. And maybe that person that spends 10 years in a cave, you know, meditating on, on who am I comes out and engages in the world with a different level of wisdom, um, you know, from what they had before they went in. So like, who who's to say what someone's particular path is supposed to look like. Um, but like living the, the questions of, you know, is it, is it ultimately about like tranquility? Like the Epicureans we're talking about, or is it, you know, more of, of this engaging in the world and some sort of moral excellence, um, despite of the pain and, and struggle that might, might come. And it's, it's like an interesting thing to, and it seems like an important project to get clear on yourself of maybe what, what do some of these people that have wise people that have come before us have to say? And, you know, what do I want my particular path to be? You know, where do I feel called? I guess is, is yeah. what, what, what I'm thinking. That that's a big question in itself. You know, yeah. <laughs> what is my calling? You know, I think, um, yeah. or is, is there a calling? You know, cause I, yeah. Um, perhaps that's another episode that we could do, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. What you're speaking to is just this, you know, that, there are so many questions that we can focus on, including, you know, what is the meaning of life or what is the, what is the real, what am I actually looking for here? Like you say, is, is it peace of mind or is it this heroic adventure or is it some sort of dutiful service? I, I am, I was reminded of that great story of the, uh, the, uh, um, cigarette salesman who uh, the the story was told that he was in India and he, you know, he was just on the corner of the street selling cigarettes most of his life. And then he said, you know what? I want to, I want to figure this whole thing out. And so he went into the Hills and he spent 10 years in the Hills in the cave with a, with a guru. And then at the end he came back down from the Hills and he went back to the street corner and sold cigarettes for the rest of his life. You know, this (laughs) idea. (laughs) Uh, is it wise to, you know, uh, spend your whole life in contemplation of what is good? Or like you say, is it some sort of dutiful service or is it just living a very simple life, doing the very simple things that you do? Um, and again, maybe I come back to that idea from Heraclitus. Again, I, you know, I always want to answer these questions. So, I, you know, But um, all is one, 
like you say, it's this and it's that and it's this and it's that. And again, that idea of the Bible, all these different ethical systems being represented. Maybe there's something here in this idea that um, even that the Stoics talk about, that everything makes sense in the context of a a whole, a rational whole within which everything plays its part. And maybe that's where peace is to be found. I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to keep on trying to answer these questions. <laughs> I know we're sitting with it, but the seeker must yeah. become the finder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you uh, a question around. I guess it's around maybe self improvement or the project or like becoming wiser whatever it may be. I don't know what you would call it, but say like you and I are both big fans of, of Seneca. Um, in all of these letters you know, to Lucilius, sometimes I wonder, is there, is there really anything to actually do to embody some of these lessons. Let, let me say one, one more, one more thing. It's like Thomas Merton, he says something along the lines of for me to be a saint means to be myself. And there's many other people that have talked about, becoming who you are and becoming who you are is ultimately maybe as I read it in a way, sometimes what Seneca is like, he's not necessarily talking about rocket science type of stuff. Like some of the things Lucilius or you and I, anyone listening might in a way already know how to do or might like literally already know, you know, that, that it's a wise act. So I'm just curious, like broadly speaking to frame it in a question is, you know, how do you think about, or how do you think, you know, Seneca like might think about self-improvement or might think about, you know, this idea of the project that we're doing, you know, like living the questions. Well, if I ever meet him, I'll certainly ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I need to get Um, him on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But certainly, um, uh, what I would say is uh, give me one second, Josh. Yeah. Just so you know, if you're looking for a bigger table, I'm going to be out in about five minutes. Sure. All right. No, no worries. Sorry, Josh. Um, no worries. Yeah. Um, what's coming to me is firstly, I just, I love something feels very, very right to me about that idea that we are to, to be ourselves that like Sharon once said to me, uh, Sharon LaBelle, for those listening, um, she said, you know, we need to learn how to sit in our seat in the theater of life. Right. 
And if you believe that that we live in a rational cosmos wherein everything does make sense, and it's not that you have to then excuse that everybody is just being themselves and everything is right, because I don't, I don't think most people are being themselves. I think most people are stuck in these traps of like acting out, out of fear or out of desire or out of this, you know, like I don't think most people are themselves. And maybe it's to understand that that's the game. And then to do it, you know, fully. Um, but it's it's so um, it's difficult to do because then you have to ask the question: Well, who am I really at the bottom of this? You know, and and how do I act not out of fear or out of anger or out of bitterness towards the world? Um, how do I just release all of that? And I really think that. That's what artists teach us too. People like Bukowski, you know, I've said this multiple times. I would never have wanted him to not be the (laughs) wild, raging, poetic, alcoholic that he was, you know, because at the end of the day, what he left to the world was such a gift. And he just decided, I'm going to live for my art fully. and, And this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And yeah, maybe he could have been a more quote-unquote virtuous person but but look at the the incredible work that he left behind as a little fingerprint of him his full selfness <laughs> in the world mm. you know um yes i that's something we we should sit with for a while yeah well that's awesome that's a that's a great spot to to wrap it up and to say to the listeners um as i mentioned in the beginning going to do around a half a dozen episodes and explore some of these perennial questions. We're going to release a few of them here on In Search of Wisdom and then a few on Simon's podcast, The Walled Garden. And these may come out every every few weeks or so. Um, So it'll it'll be a a number of months as we go through and kind of explore these. But I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm just curious as a way to wrap up, is there any sort of, uh, you know, questions that you might want to leave any listeners out there, any sort of thoughts before we embark on this of what we might have at the, at the end of, you know, this living the questions series. So two questions thrown at you there. Okay. Well, in terms of asks for our uh, listeners, well, let me just firstly say, I'm really grateful to you, Josh. I love talking with you. I love these kinds of conversations. I find you to be so thoughtful in your questions and in your conversation. And um, it's just always an honor to be connected with you and doing more with you. So, uh, thanks for spearheading this project. And to to our listeners, I would say... um, Heck, send us in your questions. What are the questions that keep you up at night? You know, yeah. uh, I'd love to hear from them as well. Um, uh, yeah, any questions that keep you up at night, questions that you've been asking your whole life, or just things that you find very complicated to think about. Um, and maybe we won't necessarily uh, touch on them in, in this particular series, but we can always, we could do a round two, you know, of uh, audience questions. Yeah. Um, and perhaps even do an event or something like that where we can get together and discuss these. And, um, but yeah, I'd love to just hear from people. So yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, this is, this is quite exciting. 
Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure and the, the feeling is mutual. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I love the idea of uh, questions and maybe we can come up with some sort of creative way. Obviously, people can can reach out to us, but even anonymously, some sort of way to throw out, you know, responses around these particular, you know, half a dozen questions that we're going to explore along with those questions that might gnaw at you, as you said, like keep you up at night. So maybe we can creatively come up with some sort of anonymous way where we can sure. get a, a bit of a collection of, uh, of responses. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there for now and uh, more to come. Thanks so much, Simon. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If so, I encourage you to put what you heard into practice. You can learn more at perennialleader.com. There you'll find links to show notes, our daily email newsletter, and reading in the good life, a free weekly meetup. Until next time, be wise and be well.